we're all set to go. Okay, <clears throat> first I get my questions ready here again. Okay, hi, this is Jeff Cooper with the, uh, what am I with again? <laughs> it's, it's not that early in the morning. Oh yeah, hi. Hi, Jeff Cooper here with uh, Classic Christian Rock Radio, and it's the Time Machine Show. We're talking with Aaron Smith, the A-Train today. How are you, Aaron? I'm doing great, Jeff. How about you? I'm just awesome, awesome. Okay, so can you tell us uh, what age did you start in uh, music? Well, uh, let's see. I started playing drums when I was in the sixth grade. I guess that would make me about 12. And I got my first uh, professional, I guess you could call it professional gig when I was uh, uh, junior in high school. That's when I started making money playing drums that that equals professional mm -hmm. <laughs> yes that's what it is <laughs> yeah what uh who influenced you or what influenced you musically um let's see uh my mom was a great singer and um you know i saw the beatles on ed sullivan's show mm -hmm. like like so many uh, musicians did, and and um, I was like, "Wow, you can do that!" <laughs> and and um, so I started pursuing drum drums in that way. And then we bought a my dad bought a record player, and uh, we bought he bought two albums. One was Ray Charles' album. Um, the other was Buddy Rich' Big Swing Face. And he bought uh, the forty-five. I want to hold your hand. Oh boy! I think, yeah, I think I had that one as well, for sure. Yep. Right with, uh, right there with. Uh, I don't know what it was. Um, I think it was Dino, Desi, and Billy at the time. Remember them? I think that was. Yeah, brother. remember yeah. that name? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one wow. I liked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, did you take drums or our drum lessons, or are you self-taught? Well, I, I took drums in junior high school and high school, and um, we had to learn, of course, we learned all these marches. Um, yeah. Uh, all, the, all the most popular Sousa marches in the, the Michigan State, Ohio State, you know, all those universities had their own theme songs. And um, so in learning those, we had to learn rudiments. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, but they were but they were just basic rudiments like a flam and a rough and a paradiddle, mm -hmm. and um, from then on, I once I got my drum kit, I just learned how to play from listening to records. Yeah, having having to learn songs for the gig, you know, and and um, that you know it went on that way until I was about <clears throat> twenty. 24 years old, I started studying privately with uh, Mr. Alan Dawson up in Boston. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, for a drummer, as a drummer, um, what advice would you give young drummers starting out? Uh, I guess anything from beginners to a uh, couple years in. What advice would you give them? Well... First of all, if 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 if, if you want to do it, um, decide why you want to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, if if 
if you want to make a career out of it, there's a certain approach. If you just want to have fun with it, that's that's okay too. And that's a, there's a certain approach there. Um, but if you if you want to make a profession out of it, I would recommend um, just digging down into the rudiments and getting a teacher as fast as possible, mm-hmm. and uh, and being diligent about it. Um, and if you just want to play for fun. Well, you know, yeah. Set set up the record player and get you a set of drums and have a good time and go for it, right? And go for it, yeah. yeah. And I always tell people, don't get your child a, a toy set. Get a real set. They'll, yeah, get a real set. They'll grow into it, right? Just get they'll them grow a- into it, or you know, if they yeah. don't, you can always sell it. You yes, know, that's right. If you, if you if you get something, if you don't get a real set of drums, and mm-hmm. um, for for one, it might not it might not influence your child to want to do it, you know? That's right. And you get them a piece of crappy, a crappy <laughs> instrument, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and, you know, on the other hand, you get a good drum set mm-hmm. and, and the kid doesn't want to do it anymore. You can sell the drum kit. Yeah. So it's, it's not a total loss, yeah, you know, it's worth something, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are your favorite drums? Ooh, Mm, tough, one, <laughs> tough one, yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. Um, my favorite drums are drums that sound great. Yes. <laughs> That's right. You can tune them up with the right skins. You can play almost anything, right? Yeah. 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 I have um, I have two Gretsch kits mm-hmm. and a Yamaha kit, Yamaha drum kit, yeah. and they're they're each one is good for something. For, you know, each one has a quality mm-hmm. that that I prefer with different genres of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's then tuned differently, and and uh, I guess more versatile. If it's a smaller gig, you don't have to carry a ten, right. ten like piece I have, kit with you everywhere. Yeah, I have a <laughs> I have a little uh, Gretsch broadcaster kit. It's like an eighteen inch bass drum, awesome, ten inch tom, fourteen inch floor tom. 14-inch snare, and it's easily transportable, sounds great. Um, and then my, my other Gretsch kit is a is a big, big rock and roll kit. Matter of fact, I use mm. that kit with 77s. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I use that kit with Romeo Void when mm-hmm. I play with Romeo Void. Yeah. And when I play with the 7s, I got a sonar kit mm. that that I really liked a yeah. yellow sonar kit. It's a beautiful kit. Yeah. And, and, um, and I just recently got this, um, this, um, Gretsch broadcaster kit about, uh, I got it back in November. Yeah. And, um, uh, I can tell you my favorite drum hardware is made by sonar. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nobody makes hardware like those guys. Good to know. The Germans, the Germans they got it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sure do. They sure and do. <laughs> on our drums too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very expensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what bands did you get involved with then? Uh, you mentioned a couple there. Tell us about your experiences in bands, like your first uh, first, first uh, group. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, my first, very first group was with high school friends, uh, we were all learning how to play our instruments, and um, I think we, I think we had one gig, and that was playing halftime at a bas- high school basketball game. 
And then after that, I, I got in a band with two of my band directors at the time, a mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. band called the Jamming Jammers. Oh. And uh, we played all the R&B hits. You know, we had a, we had a, a really big production. Um, we had like one, two, three, four, five. About five or six different acts that we could do. We yeah. did every night, every night, every time we played. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I did that throughout high school, and um, I went to Clark College, and I got a, I got a job at um, a nightclub called the Pink Flamingo, where we would play R and B hits, and then we uh, we back up singers who were who came through town, comedians and stuff like that. Yeah. And then after that, uh, I got a job with Chuck Jackson, who was a, a Motown artist at the time. He had a big hit called Any Day Now. Mm-hmm. And I toured with him for almost two years and made my way to Detroit, where I met um, Norman Whitfield. And he offered me a job um, to come up and play with this group he was putting together called The Undisputed Truth. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And um, after The Undisputed Truth, um, I was kind of, I didn't have a gig after that for a while. And uh, I was looking for a job in Detroit. And... I found this this ad in the paper that was looking for people to, who wanted to learn how to uh, lay carpet, cut carpet, uh, learn about the fabrics and different fabrics uh, for carpeting and stuff like that. And so I went and signed up for that. And it's like two days before I was two days before I finished the course. I came home. Luckily, that day, my my roommate had gotten sick and didn't go to work. Mm. And um, uh, Cornelius Grant, uh, who was the band leader for The Temptations, mm-hmm. called the house. And, and Jacob was there to answer the phone. And so when I came home, there was a big note on the kitchen table that said, call Cornelius Grant. I mean, it, <laughs> we all knew who Cornelius yes. Grant was. So that's that's like you know, that's almost like saying um, call. Um, I can't think of his name now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like call Paul McCartney. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Who? No, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I know. That's, that's that question. Barry, so I. Barry I, on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I called him, and. Um, he asked me, um, he said, well, you know, I worked with, he went over to Hitsville where I had done some recording mm-hmm. uh, with Norman Whitfield there. And so my name was on the roster, Yeah, you know, and um, he said that the temps were looking for a new drummer. He had gone over to Hitsville to look at the roster and I was the only drummer on that roster that he had never worked with before. So he decided to call me. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I said, great. He said, well, <laughs> can you come over now and play some for me? Oh, boy. And I said, sure. So I threw my drums in the car and went over to his house, set up, and he 
put put on a reel to reel of the Temptations show and gave me the book, the charts, mm-hmm. set them on a music stand, and it's like, okay, go. Luckily for me, I kn- I had already learned the Temptations show because I played uh, with this group in Durham, uh, high school high school band called um, the Imitating Temptations. Right. And we learned their show. You know, we did it. It was almost like a tribute, what you would call a tribute band today. Mm-hmm. Um, because we copied it lick for lick. Yeah. And so I kind of pretended to read those charts. And you knew that you just knew the songs. <laughs> yeah, I just knew how it went, you yeah. know. <laughs> and so I got the gig. And um, I think the first gig was, uh, yeah, the first gig was in Toronto. Yeah. Out, out Toronto. Yeah. Uh, this must have been 1971. And um, it was the Temptations, um, the OJs, and this little known group called Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, boy. Great. And um, I had never heard Earth, Wind, and Fire. I didn't, I had never heard of them. And uh, mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. did our, we did our sound check, and it was an outdoor gig. We did our sound check, and it was very windy that day. And the charts were flying all over the field, you know. <laughs> and you know, um, there was a uh, we sent a guy out for uh, clothespins, mm-hmm. you know, pin the music down. And so it rehearsal didn't go really well. And that was the first time I had met the other guys in the band, and I hadn't even seen the Temptations yet. Okay. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, uh, we went back to the hotel, and I was really petrified. I, I was really scared. And um, so I darkened my room, closed the shades, turned off the lights, and got in bed and went to sleep. I, I called downstairs for a wake-up call, and um, I fell asleep. The phone rings, and it wakes me up. And it's the road manager saying the show is canceled because they, they're having a big thunderstorm. Oh, boy. And I listened, and I could hear the thunder and the rain, pounding rain. and, and But I was cool. I said, oh, okay, all right. Well, I'll see you guys tomorrow. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I hung up, and I ran to the window and pulled back the curtains, and it was, like, raining so hard. Oh, boy. And, like, and stuff and I was going thank you Jesus yes thank you Jesus (laughs) (laughs) and then after that we went to the Apollo yeah for for, uh two weeks I think Mm -hmm. and by the time we came out of the Apollo I could play that show I could start anywhere you wanted to start in that show I could I could play it wow awesome because we played so many shows at the Apollo yeah, and that's a tough place to play, was it not? You, oh yeah, they they booed you if you weren't good. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. And and plus we were we were always um, there matched with some other group like the Spinners or yeah. the Four Tops. Oh boy. And and the Temps always went on last. Yeah. 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 It's almost like a battle of the bands then, really. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what initiated your involvement with Christian music, um, 77s, Charlie Peacock, etc.? <clears throat> well, okay, um, 
Let's see. After Temptations, I I moved to L.A. and I met um, Miroslav Vitus, who was a Czechoslovakian bass player. Mm-hmm. He was the original bass player in Weather Report, mm. and he had just recorded his first solo album. And he was putting a band together, and my friend Wawa Watson um, introduced me to Miroslav. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, we we would go. We would actually we would go over to Herbie Hancock's house and jam. Just me and Miroslav, because Herbie was touring Europe. Mm. So we'd go. We uh, Miroslav had permission to go use his studio, you know, to to audition people. And um, so it was just me and Miroslav for about two weeks, you know, every day. Just we just go in and just play, 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 play. And um, it was a great, it was a yeah. great time. Yeah. Fun. And then we moved up to Marin County, mm-hmm. and the rest of the band, you know, once he had decided who he wanted to hire on the other instruments, and uh, so everybody came to Marin, and uh, we did that for about six months. And Miroslav was very instrumental in in encouraging me to to um, go to Boston and study with Alan Dawson mm-hmm. because at, because by uh, Jack DeJanet had played drums on Miroslav's record, so I had to I had to learn Jack's parts, mm-hmm. and that was a growth thing right there because I was very foreign, you know, that was a very foreign technique to me. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I worked on it really hard, and I got to hear. I started listening to Tony Williams and Billy Cobham and all those guys. And so Miroslav said, "If you want to play like Tony, you should go to Boston and study with Alan Dawson because that's who Tony studied with." Mm-hmm. And um, I said, "Okay." I had I had relatives in Boston. I called my aunt Barbara and asked if I could stay with her until I got it together and she said sure and uh, so I drove to Boston I drove actually drove Miroslav's car to Boston and I picked up some hitchhikers and um, sped across the United States mm-hmm. and um, got to got to got to Boston and went over to Berkeley only to only to learn that uh, Alan Dawson had just retired his position at, at Berkeley. Hmm. And um, so I, I enrolled at Berkeley. And while I did that, I was getting to know people. And, um, and I, I kind of had to make my way to, to Alan. But uh, because I had played with the Temptations and Miroslav, you know, it just, it, kind of gave me an early foot in the door yeah you know? yeah and um um bill pierce i think it was bill pierce who who ended up playing saxophone with uh, art blakey and the jazz messengers mm-hmm. and uh, he introduced me to alan because alan he and alan he would play with alan a lot around boston jazz gigs and um so i started studying with alan and, and i st- I studied two years with him, and um, I got a call from a friend of mine in Sacramento to come out to Sacramento and start a band. And this was right after the big snow blizzard of 1979 in in, in New England. 
And I said, okay, yeah, man, I'm ready to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had never been to Sacramento, but, you know, I, I knew it was going to be hot and warm and it wasn't going to snow. Yeah, a lot warmer than where you were. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I went out there, and that's when I first met Charlie Peacock. Mm. And um, because that was a great community of musicians in Sacramento, great, fabulous community. You know, we we always played together. You know, everybody played in everybody's band. It was just one night it'd be your band, the yeah. next night be somebody else's band, you know. <laughs> somebody else would be the leader, you know, and, and it just went that way. And we were working like five nights a week, mm. you know. And um, So I, I did that for, I think I was out in Sacramento for maybe six months, and then, and I decided to to go back to school. So I, I went back home to North Carolina and I enrolled in the uh, North Carolina School of the Arts. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't what I thought it was, hmm. what, what I thought it was going to be. It was, it was strictly classically orientated. And um, I learned a lot about classical musicians. You know, it was like, well, you know, if you get a gig, you, you, you got to get a job with the symphony. Mm -hmm. And if you get a job with the symphony, you keep that job with the symphony until you can't play anymore. Yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't really didn't want to do that. Oh. You know, I, so after a semester there, um, I was kind of contemplating what to do. And I got a phone call from, um, uh, from a guy named Peterbilt. He had, he had been the um, guitarist in a group called Pearl Harbor and the Explosions. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to put together a band. He had backing. He had, he had uh, David Rubinson, uh, the record producer, was, was giving him recording time. He had a manager. Um, so um, I went to San Francisco. And while I was in San Francisco... Uh, Charlie Peacock had become a Christian, mm -hmm. and uh, he had joined the group Vector. Right. And they were about to do their first record, Mannequin Virtue, mm -hmm. and um, they needed a drummer for that. So Charlie called me, knowing that I had moved back to, I was in now in San Francisco. Uh, Charlie called me. And asked me if I'd be into doing it, and I said yes. So then uh, Mary Neely, who uh, ran Exit Records, gave me a call, and um, we set it all up. I went up to Sacramento and recorded Mannequin, that album, Mannequin Virtue. And, and while I was there, I met Mike Rowe and all the 77s mm -hmm. and, and all the other groups. I think there were like five groups on, on that label. Steve Scott. Yeah. And... Um, and um, so I did the album, did Mannequin Virtue, went back to San Francisco and got a two or three weeks later, I got a call from Mary Neely again asking me if I could go to if I would be willing to go to Prestadden, Wales with the with the with the uh, 77s for two weeks to play a, a Pentecostal music festival. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, you know. But this this time I wasn't I wasn't a believer at this time. Okay, and so uh, I went up to Sacramento. I would commute back and forth up to Sacramento and rehearse with the Seventy Sevens, mm -hmm. 
just before we took off for Wales, we did a gig in, down in um, Los Angeles at this club that was dedicated to U2. Mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah. total, total, everything was U2, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and um, then we went to Wales, and I heard Ravi Zacharias speak. And um, I had been, I had been, prior to that, I had been into Eastern religion, meditating and I had a guru, yeah, and um, so you know it really kind of threw me for a loop to see uh, an East Indian as a Christian because I thought they had it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I listened intently to Ravi Zacharias, and I, I came to believe while in Prestad and Wales. Wow. Yeah, awesome, and awesome. Uh, yeah. So when I came home, I was a Christian. Mm-hmm much to the surprise of my wife at the time and uh-huh. and my friends and um <laughs> and while I and when I came back I was still living in in San Francisco um and cuz the, the 77s couldn't play anywhere during that time they they weren't allowed to play outside of the church really or to do church things we played greenbelt um, 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 what's the festival that used to happen in, 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 in Illinois? Um, oh, uh, Cornerstone. Cornerstone, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, Creation Fest. Label Fest. Yeah. Those sort of things, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and played, we played at Warehouse Ministries maybe twice a month. Hmm. But uh, we weren't allowed to play anywhere else at that time. Wow. And... Um, so I was still in San Francisco and I went to uh, a pool party one day. I was invited to go to this pool party because because of my affiliation with Peterbilt, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. We were still playing sometimes, but not as much as we had been because Peter Peter decided to go solo and he was he started singing the tracks in, in disco clubs and stuff like that. Okay. But, but because I had worked with him, I had gotten to know other people in the in the uh, in the new wave punk scene in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I'm at this party on, and and it's on the roof of a of a club, and they have a swimming pool up there. And so I'm just up there minding my own business, chilling, you know. And and the guys from Romeo Void, I see them coming over towards me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they introduce themselves, you know. And they and they kind of they go, uh, you know, we're about to do a new record, and we'd really like to have you, you know, come and do the record and maybe be in the band if you want. And so um, I said yes to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, did the record and went on tour with them. So and so we, I, I had already done all fall down with with uh, the seventy sevens. Yeah. So while I was on tour with Romeo Void, in the college charts. <clears throat> Um, Romeo Void and the 77s were always in the top five. Mm. So simultaneously, I was I was in these two bands, <laughs> and uh, and and the seven it kind of worked out, you know. And I toured with um, I toured with Romeo Void for a year, mm-hmm. and um, 
before I went out on tour, I moved to Sacramento. Yeah. Because um, it would be cheaper there and better place for the family to be. And, um, you know, I came back and Charlie Peacock had um, influenced um, the pastor at Warehouse Ministries to let the bands play clubs. Yeah. Time. Mm-hmm. So that's Romeo Void broke up and so I was full time seventy sevenths from that point on. Yeah. And um I know that was a long way to get to to answer the question. <laughs> that's all but... good. That's great. <laughs> and so that's how I got involved. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm just looking at some of the albums. So there was Kickstarters lately to to re release this with lots of bonus tracks. Uh what's your favorite album of seventy sevens? 88 all right that's awesome so yeah that that is the classic that is the classic and that's my favorite yeah and your uh what songs were were particularly favorites to play on there i know what you're going to say but you go ahead (laughs) (laughs) well on 88 uh um hard to pick one man huh hard to pick one yeah Uh, I, i just love we worked we, man, we practiced every day. Yeah, every day. Mon- well, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Saturday and Sunday. Um, we didn't Saturday and Saturdays. We didn't go to warehouse. Of course, we went there on Sundays because that was church. Yeah. But every day at five o'clock, we had rehearsal. Yeah. So and we were so tight. I mean, mm-hmm. it was. I haven't been. I haven't been a part of anything that tight since. It shows, though, and, right? And that's always that's always my marker. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So when I, so when I come to play with a group, you know, I'm expecting a certain commitment to to not only the music but getting to know each other personally and musically. Mm-hmm. Because you know when you do that. It works, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, things happen. Things that you don't, you can't, you can't plan on happening. No, they just happen. It's it's, it's a funny thing about music and making music together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to say which one of those songs was my favorite, it it's hard to do because the whole thing is one long song. Yeah, really. It's a, if that makes any it sense, it sure does. Well, one of my favorites, of course, is "I Can't Get Over It." I think it's. Everybody oh yeah, knows that one. That one you guys yeah. nailed that live, um, mm-hmm. and Perfect Blues, of course. Yeah, and a real big favorite on the station is Nobody's Fault but Mine. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. <laughs> we loved the '77s version of that. Yeah, man, that was that was good. Yeah, you know, we did a we did a, a, a song called "Your Pretty Baby." Oh yeah, on All Fall Down. I I just love that song. That's a good one too. Yeah. I love that song. And another one, which is hard for most announcers to say. <laughs> Let's see if I could find it. Over, un, under, sideways, down. Sideways, oh, down, oh, yeah. Oh. And that was an old Yardbird song, I think? Yeah. 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 So how did you come to do songs like that? I, I love it. I just Mike Rowe. He loves those cover tunes. And yeah, man, makes, Mike Rowe. And he's one that, uh, to coin a phrase, that does make it his own. It really does. Well, we did... Uh, we did uh, Paint It Black, too. Yes, yes. Oh, good. Rolling Stones. I think, I think we did Paint It Black. I think we did Paint It Black better than Stones. I think you did, too. 
I think you do a lot of <laughs> lot of things better than the Stones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that painted black man is intense. It very is. It's just amazing. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I always love the opening to um, what is it? Pray naked, which is untitled on the one I'm holding. Doesn't have the pray naked title on it. We got that on later. Um, who did all that? Was that you and Mike? in the studio making phone calls or how did that come about? Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was Mike. <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, it's still a mystery. Yeah. You know, we still, it's still a mystery. Who, who was that phone call? Who set that up? You know? <laughs> and Mike swears that he doesn't know, you know, it's just like, and so we don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things. Maybe, in the last days, mm-hmm. it'll be revealed. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and of course, the song, the song is so true, you know, come to God with nothing. That's what it's yeah. about. And people say, well, yeah. you're naked. Well, that's kind of a controvert. No, it's not. Listen to what it's about. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, we didn't sell too many of those in, no. in Bible bookstores. No, I didn't. Know? I don't even think they had it out in front, you know? Right. <laughs> I remember going into them and bring, and I would put certain albums back out, like uh, I'd cover Jimmy Swaggart with a 77s because alphabetic, oh, yeah. alphabetically it was in the same area anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, that was my oh. joy in life. Yeah. <laughs> I also used to go in and request uh, 77s or res band or whatever because they were usually playing something else and I just wanted to see, uh-huh. you know, what it sounded like, of course, and uh-huh. see the people's reactions to it. So I had a little bit, right. little bit of fun. So <laughs> Walk around the store and watch people. And watch people, yeah. yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... We covered this sort of earlier. So advice to young musicians coming up. We talked about that earlier. Um, mm-hmm. If you hadn't been a musician, what else would you have done? You think? I have no idea. No. You just always knew you were going to be in a band and, and from day one, right? Well, no, I didn't even think about no. it. I just, kind of, I just kind of went with the flow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I went where the... the the gravitational pull was, yeah. You know, I was in the, I would, you know, I, I did get drafted and I was in the army. I got, mm-hmm. I met Norman, I met Norman Whitfield the first time I went to Detroit with Chuck Jackson. Okay. And, and, uh, he offered me the gig with, uh, the undisputed truth. Right. And this was in October of 1970. Um, I went, went back home, did Christmas at home. And during the Christmas holiday, I got a draft notice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I had to report, I had to report, um, in February, 71. And, uh, so I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and I was there up until about two weeks before getting out of basic. And, um, I broke out in, all these hives on my back because of the detergents that they use mm-hmm. to wash the clothes in. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so the doctor told me, he said, well, you know, you can stay in and we'll give you medication for as long as you're in the service. And when you get out of the service, if you still need it, or you can get out. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> I got out. Yeah. yeah. I got out. And, 
I went back home, got my job back with Chuck Jackson, and went back to Detroit. And uh, Norman came to the show, and he was like, where have you been? Mm. I've been trying to contact you. Mm. But he was he was calling my mom's house. Yeah. And this is this is like the early 70s, yep. 77, late 70s, first, uh, first of 71. Nobody's got an answering machine. Nope. You know? nope. My mom is at work. Mm-hmm. When he's calling, you know, so no text message, no, uh, no, yeah. no Twitter back then. Right. 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 <laughs> so that's how, uh, that's how I, I, you know, I just kind of went with it. You know, I was in the army yeah. and, um, I met all these guys from all over the United States and, and, um, I had, you know, we talked. You know, I told him that I had worked with Chuck Jackson, and yeah. and I had I had re- I had actually recorded with the Temptations by the time I got drafted because when I first met Norman Whitfield, that next day he had me in the studio. Yeah, he asked me to come in and 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 record, mm-hmm. and we did uh, we did the Temptations version of Smiling Faces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some other tune. Yeah. And so I, you know, when I was when we're in the barracks, and you know we're all sitting around getting to know each other, and I tell them what what I'm what I did, and you know, um, they would anytime they heard a, a Motown song on their trend, little Japanese transistor radio, yeah. they would come find me, yeah, and play it for me. They would go, Smith, Smith, mm-hmm. here's a Motown song. Listen to this, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that just, you know, the it just kept going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, um, the energy of playing music mm-hmm. just kept going yeah. from and it kept uh, it kept it kept it going in me, you know, because it was it was going outside of me and coming from other people, yeah. you know, yeah. and, um, so. Yeah. I never thought about doing anything else. Yeah, so it followed you. Yeah. It followed you around your whole. Yeah, life. it followed me. Yeah, <laughs> get it away from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now here's for you. In your opinion, then, uh, is there any difference between a Christian band and a band made up of Christians? Ooh, Christian band. What's a Christian band? Exactly. That's the whole point. You know. <laughs> What is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are a lot of bands that have Christians in them, yeah. but, you know, they wouldn't. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of bands who play Christian music. Yeah. Um, who call themselves Christians, I yeah. guess, you know, that's between them and God. Yeah. Or Christian themes, uh, right? Right. So. Yeah. Christian themes. Yeah. 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 So, do you prefer live or studio work? I think you like a bit of both, right? I like both. Yeah, yeah. I like studio because it's a record. You know, it leaves a record. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always here. Yeah. I like live because um, I like that instant response between you and other musicians and the audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what makes '88 such a great album, right? Yeah, live and yeah, exactly. recorded. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. We used to play this club down in Fresno, yeah. uh, California, the 77s. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how we really, I don't know, they just, they loved us in Fresno. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a, we'd go down to Fresno maybe twice a month. And um, we'd stay at the club owner's house. You know, and she was she was into reggae music. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she had a lot of reggae acts at her club. Yeah. But for some reason, man, she, she loved us. And we honed that show pretty much in Fresno. Yeah. Yeah. Every time, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd play down there, come back home, tweak, mm-hmm. go down there again. Because it was, it wasn't a, it what, you know, because we weren't playing for people we knew in Sacramento. We weren't playing at church. This was like a totally foreign crowd. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we built, we built, uh, a following down there mm-hmm. to where we play two nights yeah. sold out every night, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, it was just amazing. Yeah. Truly amazing. You know how that happened. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, how has the music industry changed as you see it? It's really changed a lot. Uh, we've got American Idol and uh, The Voice, etc. We've got uh, yeah. Kickstarters. We've got Spotify. We've got streaming. You know, um, how has the whole industry changed from when you started? Well, I don't think it's as creative as it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's much more formulaic now. Um, and, and you can see that on shows like American Idol and and that show and you can see how that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, recording studios are almost a thing of the past. Everybody's making records in their bedroom or in basement, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm um, tech technology has changed everything pretty much. Um, Pro Tools, Logic, all those music programs, uh, Garage Band, Auto Tune. Yeah, <laughs> Auto Tune. Yeah. Yes. I wonder what Mike Rowe thinks of Auto Tune. <laughs> uh, he, 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 he wouldn't need it. No, he, he sure doesn't need it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you know, there are not that many places to play anymore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, I, I know around here, around Nashville, man, it's a hustle, you know. Yeah. It's hard to get guys to rehearse yeah. if you have an idea for something. Even if you got a gig coming up, you know, it's kind of hard to get them to rehearse. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I, I just tell you that I'm I'm so glad to have been, a, been part of the music industry when I was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. And that I'm on this side of it now yeah. because I, maybe I don't I don't know if I would have wanted to be involved if if I, if I started ten years ago, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, even for me, honest, if I walk into a place to hear a band and there's two guys and a guitar and a drum machine, I walk right out. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, I want to go watch another yeah. drummer. You know, yeah. That uh, yeah. for just an example. And, you know, 
<laughs> unless it's billed as a guy with a guitar, then that's different. You go to see a, a right. folk singer, a, 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 you know, soloist. That's different. But if it says band, you know what to expect. Yeah. It's it's you can decide. You can decide before you leave home. I could put my 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 <laughs> streaming music on my thing and listen at home if I want to do that. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody the other day. Yeah, said you know, I said, man, we were we were so fortunate to be born at a certain time and be musicians at a certain time. Yes, we were. Yeah, Uh, because now you know there are all these tribute bands. Yeah, you know, you got a tribute band for every band that's successful in the seventies and the eighties. No originals anymore. (laughs) It's like <laughs> I was talking to a guy yesterday who used to be in a U2 mm-hmm. tribute band, and they just broke up recently. Yeah, and they were about to like really go all out as far as video and everything. They they were playing corporate gigs. Yeah, they were doing pretty well. Yeah, but then they just got tired. They got tired of it, and the guy who was running it got tired of doing it, and so yeah. it was over. But you know, it's like. You got an Eagles tribute band. You got uh, uh, Steely Dan, uh, Toto. Mm-hmm. Uh, About 50 Elvises. Queen, yeah. Yeah. Elton John. Yeah. Or Prince. Prince's family put a stop to any tribute band. Yeah. Yeah. They they have a cease and desist order. Good. You can't. You can't. You can't do. You know. Yeah. Tribute Prince. Yeah. <laughs> they got Michael Jackson. Yeah. It's like, and now what's going on? They they have organizations who put these things together, mm-hmm. and they and they work with the symphonies in a in a city. Yeah. And to their credit, they pack symphony halls. Mm-hmm. You know, they use the orchestra, yeah. but they attract people to the symphony hall who wouldn't go to symphony hall otherwise wow. you know have been living in a city yeah. all all this time with the symphony hall, with a symphony and a symphony hall they're beautiful building mm-hmm. but they don't want to hear bach mozart Mahler, stravinsky but they'll go to hear an eagles tribute band right yeah you know it's just uh you know, it's kind of wacky. It is. It, it, <laughs> it is. It is. It's like flipped on its head almost. Yeah. So, so you still record and perform in some way, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I just did a. I did a, a collection of funk songs with Charlie Peacock recently. Right on. Oh yeah. That you you can listen to on. Um, Facebook Music, I think. Okay. Something. We'll look that up for sure. Yeah, and um, I did a, a jazz record with Phil Madeira. Oh, right on. Yeah, and, and uh, we're uh, the record release for his <clears throat> for that record is the April the twenty sixth, and we're going to do a a show at the uh, City Winery here in Nashville on uh, May fifth. That's great, great. Yeah, yeah. he was with uh, Phil Keggy Band too, of course, at one time. Yeah, some right. good circles there. That's that's mm-hmm. great, and you also do podcasts and uh, some kind of an interview show as well. So tell us about yeah. that and how people can uh, tune in for that. Okay, um, the show is called Intersect. 
uh, like an intersection, mm-hmm. and it's like uh, it's like that intersection where where uh, in this case where musicians uh, come to Christ um, while they're in the midst of their musical music career, mm-hmm. and um, it's like well, what I want to know is. How did that happen? Yeah. If you know, because some people have like real experiences, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. when they come to faith. Stories to tell. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. and so I want to know what your life was like prior to that, and how coming to Christ changed that, and how it changed your music, if it did, mm-hmm. uh, how it changed your intent yeah. as an artist, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So. That's what we talk about, and and it's usually uh, we 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 go all the way back to you know their childhood, and and in an hour's time we try to get up to where they are now. Yeah. Sometimes we can't do it in an hour's time, and so we do a part two. Yes, yeah. And um, you can find that you can find the show on. The Enter Talk. That's E N T E R T A L K. EnterTalkMedia.com. Great. Okay. And uh, you have to look for my icon, um, Intersect Radio icon. It's a guitar player walking, facing across. That's he's walking down a road with his guitar on his shoulder, and there's this huge cross at the end of the road. Mm-hmm. Um. That's that's the logo for the show. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah that's great. Okay, we. I think I have sixty three shows now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. You know my 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 good friend Rick Elias just passed. Yes. Uh, yeah. April second, and fortunately, I have two hours of interview with Rick Elias on on my show. Oh, wow! Praise God. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people can listen for that. Yes. Uh, I wished I had got a chance to talk to him. I, I know I had been planning on it and, um, I'm probably still going to try and do a tribute show to him sometime. So, um, mm-hmm. maybe I'll call you back with some stories about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, that'd be great. We did do when the, the day he passed on, we did uh, a few songs of his and we played, um, the uh, Christian Music Archive feature on him. So, oh, great! Yeah. So that was uh, uh, sad, but uh, happy for him. And uh, yeah, God bless him. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, thanks so much, Aaron. We did it. <laughs> I think everything we did it fine this time. And uh, okay, great. we're uh, going to say good night to everybody and thank Aaron Smith, the A Train, for being our guest here on Time Machine. And uh, thank God you, bless Jeff. you. And thanks so much. All right, thank you, man. I'm just going to hang on here for a sec and let that...